Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Ron from the Box and One podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. On this episode, we introduce a new start, bench, and trade segment. We take a bit of a dive into some of the Raptors' advanced stats and talk about the Blue Jays signing Marcus Simeon. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, Boxing One World? We're back with another episode. I'm your, well, one of your hosts, Ron Salgado. I'm also joined by Pramit Bose and Azim Faruqi. Boys, how you doing? Not bad, especially now that I know Marcus Simeon is a Blue Jay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be talking about that later too. Awesome. Pramit? Yep, I am thrilled. I think it's a great signing, so we will talk later for sure. Awesome, awesome. So uh, let, let, let's get things moving. And uh, I wanted to start with last week, we started with the buy or sell uh, segment, which we introduced this week, we're going to start with uh, another new one, which is start bench and trade. So just to give you guys a quick rundown of how this works, I'm going to give you a list of three guys, uh, I have three different groups of guys. And you're going to tell me which of those guys you're going to start, which one of them you're going to bench and which one of them you're going to trade. There's no real criteria to how you're doing this. So however you want to justify it, good with me. Um, so we're going to start with uh, with the first group. So the first group... So it's kind of like the marry one, kill one, sleep with one, right? That's, that's exactly what I was going for. And okay. to all you listeners and anybody watching on YouTube, feel free to give us any feedback on any kind of games you want us to play with this stuff. Uh, we're open to trying anything. We're kind of trying to introduce stuff to, to break break up the, the content a little bit. So the first group we have here, uh, Teoscar Hernandez... Randall Grichik and Lourdes Gurriel. And this is kind of, you know, since the the George Springer signing came out, this might be sort of a, an actual real world uh, example. So, uh, Pramit, we'll start with you. How, how do you run this one down? Teoscar trade, Grichik bench, Gurriel start. Although, practically speaking, I think Gurriel is the greatest trade, is the best uh, trade asset. Teoscar, simply put, uh, there are indicators that what he did last year in 50 games is not sustainable. He has had short stretches where he'll hit a ton of home runs, but it, it, his career is all, he'll have like a one, he'll always have like a one really hot month and then he'll be terrible the rest of the year. And in a 60, in a, he played 50 games and he had a very, very good year, but he still struck out 30% of the time, which is way, way, way too high. I'm um, looking at other, um, some of his other stats. Yeah, I mean, his line drive, he had, he hit the ball harder, line drive rate was up. So there, it indicates that it may not have been completely smoke and mirrors, but I am not. With his defense just not being that great, and you have a lot of these DH guy type guys, anyways, I would shop him and see what you can get for him. Awesome. So I'm gonna play Teoscar. I'm gonna bench Grichik, <clears throat> and I'm gonna trade Guriel. Guriel has the best trade chip, um, and he's better off fetching you some other prospects rather than sitting on the bench. Grichik his. He's probably designed. His whole entire baseball profile is designed to be a fourth outfielder. So I'll keep him and I'll play Teoscar, I think. Uh, uh, with limited sample you had from last year, it's it's worth taking a flyer and seeing uh, what he has. 
Okay, so I, I'm I'm gonna approach this a little bit differently. So I'm I'm starting Guriel just because I need the I need the hair in the lineup. So uh, I'm gonna bench Teoscar. I, I want that bat coming off the bench, and I just I need some free swinging. And then uh, Randall Grichik, I don't. He doesn't. He's kind of vanilla to me. He doesn't really do anything for me. So I'm I'm trading Grichik, and hopefully I'm getting something for him. All right. Yeah, so you you'll get a roster spot. However, well just. To finish that off, I think that Tay Oscar profiles again as like a DH type, and we have too many of those. So th- that's that's my approach. Now, realistically, I think what Ozum points, um, what Ozum's list will likely be what ends up happening. But yeah. I would do it the other way, like by trading Tay Oscar. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Uh, so the next group, and um, Ozum, if you want to, if you want to kind of lean back a little bit, you can show off your your stupid sweater. Awful, awful. You can't. Um, I don't even have my Dolphins mug today to combat that. But uh, so the the second group uh, for uh, start bench trade: Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and Peyton Manning. And this is kind of uh, in honor of the Super Bowl, which which will be taking place in a couple of weeks. So, uh, Azam, we'll start. I don't. I don't even need to start with you, but you know, like I know where you're going with this. But let's let's go with you first. So I'll be honest. So I, I'm. I mean, full disclosure. I've always been a Brady fan. Here's the thing. If you had put Aaron Rodgers in there, I probably would have gone with him. Because from even though my favorite player in like football player is Brady, I think Rodgers to me is the most talented quarterback, at least since I've started following football, which is not very long ago. Uh, so I can't say for all the old guys. But uh, as far as like a copybook, textbook, quarterback's concerned, Rodgers for me is out there probably the best. In this instance... You know what I mean? You can go either way. There's no wrong answer. I'm going to go with Brady just because regardless of what you say, you know, those all those fourth quarter comebacks, it's got to start accounting for something, right? Um, even though he's definitely not as talented as Peyton Manning. And, you know, I think even Mahomes might end up being, you know, more successful as far as talent, pure talent level is concerned. But for a quarterback, we know there's a lot more that goes into it, and which is, you know, the awareness as well as in-game decision making. And Brady's pretty good with that. So I'm going to play Brady. I'm going to bench Manning. The reason is because Mahomes can fetch me a lot of uh, return. With Fair, enough. Game. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm okay. I'm, I, I, I mean, wasn't surprised. You can make any argument because Mahomes. I was thinking first 31 games, he has the greatest quarterback rating of all time. And that's and why Gaborian, he's in a second one. So he's already starting to get into that conversation as far as success is concerned. That's why I threw him into the list. And it's kind of interesting because of you know, he doesn't have the longevity necessarily, but he's had the, the early success. So mm-hmm. uh Pramit, I, I know you're not a big football guy, but I know I'm sure you can come up with, with some kind of arguments on this. Um I would probably go with Osmond's list, to be honest with you. Um I'm, I'm not a big football fan, but I mean, when you have a guy that could win seven Super Bowl, the could win his seventh Super Bowl. Uh, I know some of those games, those wins were due to defense, for example, like like the Rams one, for example. But I mean, ten, like appearing in ten and play and longevity over twenty years, we don't like the longevity. To me, is what seals it. Like this is like stupid. 20, like a 40-something-year-old going to the Super Bowl. So I'd have to go with that. 
again, I would I would trade Mahomes because of the return you could get, and then Manning just because you have to bench somebody. But he's great too. See, I think I think you guys are looking at this from the right way. Me, hell no, I'm not taking Brady. So f- for sure, for sure, he's out. I'm trading him. Uh, 43. I'm probably not getting much return for him. Maybe somebody will give me something for him, but I do not want Brady anywhere near my team. Uh, I'm starting Peyton Manning. Uh, always been a, a big Peyton Manning fan. Um, you know, he got a lot of hate because you know lack of success until uh, until until his run later on. But that's fine. Uh, I think you know I'm a big Dan Marino fan, and Dan Marino, you know, made it to the to the one Super Bowl, didn't win. Uh, that, I don't think that takes anything away from the fact that he was a great quarterback. Same with Peyton Manning. Sometimes if if you're not paired with with a with a competent front office who's able to make good decisions and get you good defense and get you good players around you. I don't I don't think that's on the quarterback. Um, so I'm, I'm starting Manning. I still think he's he's the greatest. Um, then I'm I'm uh, benching Pat Mahomes because I want him coming off the bench just for that little change of pace. Uh, he doesn't have the longevity, but I mean he's in, in a short career. He's he's still outstanding. If he wins in two weeks, he ties Peyton for two. Yeah, and and, he'll, and he'll, it'll put him on the same pace as Tom Brady uh, this early on in his career with the with the two Super Bowl wins. And he'd be younger. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that Manning gets criticized. Criticized. Oh, you only won two. Well, well, it's hard. Not, hell. It's so hard. It's I mean, not easy to win, right? And, and that's why, regardless of whatever factors are there, it, it like it's. Even winning one Super Bowl in your career is a pretty big deal, yeah. And, and and that's why for me, like winning six becomes such a big deal, regardless of all factors. I mean, let's be honest: the second Super Bowl ring, if we look at it that way, Peyton Manning defense carried it all the way. Uh, all Peyton had to do was not screw it up. And and if you could see that since that neck injury, he wasn't the same player. He was getting rid of the ball a lot quicker, and like you know the. It, he wasn't the same vintage Peyton, so it wasn't as if he led them to the second ring. Yeah, but you can't take away the fact that he was there, right? Uh, and and I know that's not a measure of success. I agree on Dan Marino, arguably top three quarterbacks of all time, maybe. Um, but for me, besides football, I have some personal reasons for uh, you know being a Brady fan. I think athletes are the only form of celebrity where in which I think us normal human beings can probably relate to in some way, shape or form. Like if you have a favorite actor or a singer, if they come up with a crappy album or a crappy movie, you come out and like, it sucked and you move on. But for an athlete, you're invested, right? So with their success, you kind of feel your success and you kind of feel the pain. If they lose, they don't do well. And for me, for someone like myself, who's like, I don't, I cannot relate to Peyton Manning because of pedigree coming out of, uh, you know, college and being the, like for me, from that standpoint, if I look at Brady, 199th pick being passed over, not like probably the fifth or sixth quarterback picked in his draft, and getting to where he ended up being, it's something I can relate to in my life as a motivating factor. And and I, I know it's not equivalent, but it's something that you can aspire to, right? If 199 overall can end up being in a conversation even to be the GOAT, right? I mean... At least that gives me like, okay, if I put my time, my effort in, I, I can do whatever I want, right? At least that's whether that happens or not. You know, uh, I suffer from procrastination like a lot of people. But the fact is it's motiva- It's a motivating factor. It helps you. And especially 
you know, in all these fourth quarter, quarter, you know, comebacks we talked about, it's not just with the Patriots. It's happened with a lot with when he was a Wolverine as well. And then he had to play that extra year as well, right? And there were times when first couple of years, he wasn't even a starting quarterback. He was benched a lot. He was third on the depth chart. Like, and the journey that you see, it's it's very, very inspiring. See, and this is the type of analysis that you get from the Box in One podcast. I was throwing this this segment out there just as a fun segment, and you came with this serious analysis. And I, I, I know, but you haven't changed my mind, but I am going to say I'm sorry for the Brady hate, but still out of here. Yeah, Tom Brady is just your everyday guy married to a supermodel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so oh no, but um, yeah, I, I, I honestly like Brady probably should be on my list, but you know the the years of right. It's one of those things. Also, the years of him beating up on the Dolphins just hurt. So I, I can like it's it's just like the thought of the Bills making the the Super Bowl was just no. I, I like I I wasn't having that. All right. So moving on to to the last uh, the last grouping. Um, so this is in honor of the zero hall of fame inductions today, uh, the baseball hall of fame. So we have, we have a list of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Manny Ramirez. Premit, you're first. Dark Bonds. Uh, trade Clemens bench Manny Ramirez. Bonds did stuff that nobody ever, like the guy had years where his on base percentage was over five months. Like, it was stupid. He he did what he had pulled off. Like the fact that he would be intentionally walked with the bases loaded, and a team was willing to walk in a run just so he wouldn't hit it was ridiculous. The guy had a, had seasons of an op- like regularly from two thousand one all the way to two thousand four. He had an on every year. His on base percentage was over. Five hundred. He had a year in two thousand four. His on base was six oh nine. That was ridiculous. So uh, Bonds won, Clemens two because as a pitcher he did some ridiculous things as well. Like Bonds' career uh, Fangraphs WAR is one hundred sixty nine. Um, Manny, I would. I mean, Manny, I would bench just because of the three. And he was amazing too, but you know he is his weird antics. I mean, Bonds. He's was, no Bonds, right? I mean, but Bonds was Bonds was just rude, but it wasn't antics. Like Manny's was like immaturity, but like Manny, like Manny's career war, Fangraphs war is sixty six, which is incredible. But Bonds is one sixty nine. <laughs> so which, just just to clarify, you're 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 trading. You're trading Clemens because of the value, right? Clemens because of the value. He's number okay. two. So you can get I can get a lot of value back, and I okay. did enjoy his Blue Jays years. Um, sorry, but, uh, I correct myself. But Bonds was one only one sixty four career Fangraphs WAR, which is like still incredible. God like, like <laughs> oh yeah, people can argue the steroids. Whatever, steroid doesn't make you walk. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. So Bonds. Keep him forever. Awesome. Your list? Uh, same as Pramit. Um, when you have Barry Bonds on the list, you, you, like 
you don't even look at anything beyond. And I know Roger Clemens probably the greatest pitcher, greatest pitcher of all time. But being the greatest pitcher, greater position player, I'll take someone who plays every day. Uh, Bonds, uh, and I bench Manny because uh, of the bat, and Clemens for the return. Yeah, Maybe so- I can get five Kershaws for Clemens, so that'll help. I'm I'm thinking about it the same. Like I, I have my list is p- pretty much the same, and and the reason I put Bonds on the list, even I, I thought about maybe you know maybe I don't put him on the list, but I wanted to actually just ask you guys: um, Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? You guys, you guys have an issue with with the steroids or no? Nope. No issue. Put him in. Nope. There's no policy back then. But and does MLB he get in? That's the question. No policy back then, and the league. MLB made a ton of money on it. They made oh. a ton of money off this guy. And so, you have this plaque. That says bud ceiling on it. That kills the entire argument against having Clemens and Bonds in um, the Hall of Fame. Do you guys think? Do you guys think the steroid guys get in? Not all of them. I do. I, I think some will get. in. I do believe that a guy like Alex Rodriguez will get in. It was relatively late in his career, so. Yeah, I, I think that certain guys will, um, but I, I don't think McGuire and Sosa get in. Well, McGuire and Sosa, okay, so McGuire, okay, five hundred eighty-three, I think, home runs, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, he's you're not talk, like it's not the same conversation as Barry Bonds or Clemens, right? I mean, you're talking about two of the yeah, greatest players in their position. Um, but I mean, people forget that, he, like. He, Bonds, even earlier than that, he had a pretty terrific. He was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, anyways, right? Yeah. So even from the time when you start suspecting that he, you know, started taking um, drugs, I mean, this was like what he already had accumulated like 50, 60 war already. The only better hitter all time, according to fan graphs, was Babe Ruth. That's it. <laughs> Like, you know, on that note, I would make a suggestion. So there's an old baseball book called Baseball Between the Numbers. I think it came out like 15 years ago. I would still suggest anyone who wants to collect baseball books to still read it and keep it. It's Forget all the stats because they're all out of date now. Obviously, analytics has advanced ridiculously since that amount of time. But just the approach and how you start thinking about it, it, it gives you a really good foundation. And I think even before chapter one, the introduction of that book is who's a better hitter, Bonds versus uh, Babe. And that's a fascinating chapter. And they kind of put them both in their respective eras and see how Bonds would have done in Ruth's era and how Ruth would have done in uh, Bonds's era. So Bonds would have had a higher on base and less home runs if he had played in Babe's time and vice versa, Babe Ruth would have probably had close to 900 home runs, but a lot more strikeouts. So it's pretty fast. But the velocity that Bonds faced wouldn't have been what Babe had to deal with. There were other issues back then, right? I mean, the sport was different as well. So you can only compare against your peers at that time. And from that standpoint, Ruth was like Gretzky times five compared to the rest of the players, right? Yeah, 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 I can see that. Okay, so moving along to uh, down oh, the, minutes. Sorry. In, in, interesting conversation. I, it actually went a lot longer than I thought it would, um, which is actually not a bad thing because it, it was some, some interesting conversation about some of these Mom's guys. cursing us under his breath. It's like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> it was his fault. I, I blame him. He always extends 
segments. So, oh, he's God. All right, yes, go on. <laughs> so we'll we'll move along to the next uh, to our next segment. So I, I just wanted to talk about some Raptors stats. So um, I was a little bit frustrated after uh, the the loss yesterday uh, to the Pacers, and I just thought I would start taking a look at um, at some of the numbers. Uh, you know, I wanted to take a look at Raptors offensive rating, defensive rating. Um, so I, I just wanted to start with with w- what I think the issue is. But then, you know, when I start to look at defense, it, it's it, I'm actually pretty surprised where they're at. So their offensive rating, they're they're 110, uh, 15th in the league. Defensive rating, uh, 109, and it's actually 16th in the league. Um, and then when I started to dive a little deeper into the offensive rating, because that's what I was most interested about, because uh, I don't know if you guys agree watching some of these games. Their, their offense just – it looks it, – we've, we've mentioned this before. It looks stagnant. There's there's some standing around. There isn't a lot of movement. Um, not a lot going going to the basket. Um, a, lo- a lot of jump shooting, which which I think is what everybody kind of realizes. So w- when you look at their shooting, um, you know, kind of inside. So the restricted area, they're 57.9%, 26th in the league. Just for context, the Clippers are first at 69.8%. Uh, in the paint, in general, they're at 37.8%, which is 25th in the league. The Bulls are first at 48.8%. Mid-range, there's 37.1%, which is 26th in the league. Um, and the Sixers at, are first at 486 And then, you know, when you, when you look at the three, the numbers uh, from three, corner threes, they're ninth at 40.8%. Uh, and above the break threes, which actually kind of surprised me, they're, they're 36.9%. They're eighth in the league. Which I guess now that I think about it a little bit more, that's that's probably where a lot of a lot of their threes come from, given you know Lowry and and Fred Van Vliet how they get their shots. But um, are you guys like? Is there any surprise that they're 16th in the league in defensive rating? Because I think that's the most surprising thing that came out of this. Because I, and you know small sample size, so I think there there could be some you know there, there there's some distortion I'm sure with the numbers. But like 16th, did you guys? Expect that? Yeah, I'm looking at Hollinger's stats, which is offensive and defensive efficiency and it is basically uh it just simply uh a number of points a team allows per 100 possessions yeah and hollinger has them seventh defensively and offensively they are 17th now there's a lot of skewing cuz like i think the the first Seven eight games, they were atrocious offensively. I think even defensively, better. even defensively, they were pretty bad in like bowl. I mean, you're you start two and eight. And I think now what are they seven and ten? So they're oh, they have a twenty third best record, right? So it's not far off from all those numbers if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really atrocious games down from sixteenth yeah. or mid of them back to low twenties. So I'll say this: yesterday, notwithstanding. The defense has been a lot better the past week and a half. The Dallas game, the second Miami game, the first Indy game. We're starting to see a lot of the scheming that they did last year that worked and paid off. I think that they will end up being okay defensively. I think without if you don't have the anchor like a Gasol, that could maybe put them in the top five. And because they've gotten nothing out of their centers, like zero. Although Baines is playing a lot better lately. Playing a lot, well, you can't, you can't not be better. Given how bad he was, like, <laughs> so enough. I think defensively they'll be a very good. I don't think they'll unless they make any moves or unless we just all of a sudden just 
see them click and get to a higher gear. I don't see them being what they were last year because I think we've learned that Gasol played a huge role as that defensive anchor. Offensively, I think they'll end up being like where they were last year. Last year, they weren't even top 10 offensively, according to Hollinger. They were maybe 12th or 13th, but their defense was two. That's what got them. That, that's what won them games. Uh, the creative scheming. So, I, again, I have them. Uh, I'll stick with my pick of six seed. I think the lack of size is an issue because just that extra rebound or maybe that extra put back on offense or just those little finer de- those little granular details that uh, a big man can provide them they just don't have that yeah what i'm and what i'm getting at with these numbers is you still see a lot of this similar type issues that we had last year where we're not getting a lot of looks at the basket and i still think that's uh that's a product of not having uh, a true creator who can really go one-on-one like you'll, you'll you'll see them use the pick and roll and you know often they'll pull up um pull up at the three-point line sometimes for, for deep threes um I, I still like i i don't even know what you can do at this point but like there's still something missing offensively uh and you can see it like yesterday's game um you know they still managed to put up 100 and what was it 111 points 115 Whatever, whatever it was, they they still put up a good number of points. I believe their offensive rating was still decent yesterday. Actually, it was, it was fairly good yesterday. But when, like, I think they shot forty percent. And then what you run into when you're shooting forty percent is you're, you're you're giving up easier offense. Um, for the in this case for the Pacers because they're coming back, they're not facing a set defense because you know you, you don't have time to drop back in your coverage and and it puts a lot more pressure in the defense. Yes, they they played well, and I think yesterday what happened was you know OG got got that elbow to the face and his mouth just swelled up and, and it kind of, it impacted them down the stretch, but you know, I, I still think that their offense still is missing something. And definitely the, the, the lack of Ibaka is, is, you know, on the pick and pop and, you know, rolls to the rim. It's, it's, it's showing. Yep. And their, their, their defense fueled their offense. They were a very good transition offense. Yep when they get that stop, get the steal, quickly run down the floor and score. They're not a good half-court offense because they don't yeah. have that guy that can just – you could just give the ball. There are times you need to give uh, one of these – like when they had Kawhi, there were times you can just give him the ball and get out of the way and let them go to work, and they don't have that guy. So then you, when you get – when teams put them in the half-court, they have to. They just don't – they can't create at the rim, so, except for Siakam at times when he chooses to. but. So they have to like get go for those threes, and I don't have a as big a problem with how they are playing because I think given the their size issues and the makeup of the roster, that's what they have to do on offense. I do think that they need to get the defense. I think that if they can improve that, get that consistent defense, we'll end up with a team very similar to what we had last year. Maybe not as good, but. I don't think anybody expected them to be as good last year. I still had them as a mid-tier playoff team in the East. So so let me ask you this, guys. Uh, So do you think now in hindsight, of course, you know, make greatest decisions in hindsight, not signing Ibaka was a mistake. And you know why we didn't, but... 
or was this obvious that this would be a gap? And if it were, then were we over? We were a little too optimistic over the Raptors early on. Uh, okay. It, you want to go first, Primate? They're all okay. I, they're not going to be the a top seed in the East. They're not going to be the one seed. But they're only four and a half games out of the one seed. They're only two games behind the sixth seed where I thought they would be. So they could still. I, I think that we. I don't. I think that we all underestimated the impact of losing Serge and Gasol, and I thought that Baines could provide enough with some rebounding and screen setting to maybe offset that loss and. We were wrong, and Len was a train wreck. So, yeah, that's where I that's where I misread. So, personally speaking, I think when you look at it, the fact that Giannis signed so early makes it look a whole lot worse, and it's a lot easier to say they should have just signed Ibaka. When, but when you when you look at it as as a whole. Uh, like I, I still don't have a problem with it. And I know people are going to think I'm crazy, but he still had his deficiencies. And like, given that he probably would have wanted an extra year, I don't know if, you know, if they threw an extra three, four million on, onto the one year contract, I don't know if he would have taken it. Maybe he would have, but I, I don't want any part of the second year just, just because I, I like we all wanted that flexibility. So I, I still understand why they did. And people like, I, I, I think the biggest problem is that there was no, no backup option. And I still, again, people are going to think I'm crazy for this. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more upset over the not, not bringing Gasol back because he was the one that I think I, I wanted a little bit more. I know Ibaka gives you numbers wise more, but Gasol has a bigger impact in things that you don't see in the box score. And I think that's a lot of where you see some of some of the, the issues that we're having right now. Although he's not going to shoot the three, there are a lot of things that he does spacing-wise that would help this team. He just saw that, I mean, Lakers gave him two, even though it was like a vet minimum type deal. I don't know if I would have given him. I mean, Gasol was pretty bad in the bubble. De- yeah, definitely, definitely. But there, I think there were still things that he were, he was doing that that didn't show up on the box score. Yeah, and yeah, I, it's hard for me to judge. To judge the obviously, it's a it's an issue. But their point, they still scored outscored their opponents overall. They have a positive point differential. And yeah, the East is just they got off to that terrible start. They're five and two since. The East is just very weird at the moment. Every, a bunch of teams are bunched up together. In two weeks, they could be in where we thought they would be. So if that's where they end up, this is always going to be a transition year for OG, Pascal, and Fred to sort of take on that leader, like become that core, take on that leadership um, role, so to speak. The next, like the next iterate, like you had Lowry, DeRozan, JV, and Obviously, JV and Demargo, and then Lowry's the last guy, and you transition to this new group, and who knows what happens with Lowry? But I don't want to write them off and say, "Oh man, if only we had known this, this, or that was a mistake. That was a mistake because it's way too early. There's still a long way to go, and I'm seeing positive signs that they're coming out of it." In in two weeks, we're going to be playing that Dennis Green clip of "They are who we thought they were." 
because I, I, the, things will even out and they'll probably be, yeah, probably middle of the pack in, in, a, in a playoff spot, fifth or sixth. Not Milwaukee tomorrow, that will be a tough one, but we'll see. Milwaukee, yeah. I mean, they haven't quite gotten off to the start that we thought they would, but they're still very, very good. So we shall see. Yep. All right, so moving on to our, uh, our last topic, uh, Blue Jays update. Uh, so last week... Azam, you missed uh, you, you missed some some interesting news coming in with the George Springer signing. Pramit was was hardly able to contain himself on air, uh, and now they they did an extra little bit of business uh, signing uh, Marcus Simeon. So, uh, as a as a you know a casual baseball fan, can you guys break this down for me? What what are we looking at? Where is he going to play? Is he going to play shortstop? Do they move Bo, or or is something else going to be happening? And how does this impact the lineup and and the team in general. So uh, I think going into the season, regardless of what signings they made, I think it was clear that they will probably look for one infielder at the very least. Um, third base was a gaping hole. Um, I think this signing makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays. Uh, one, it's not a very long-term deal. So in no way, shape, or form, if Groshans or Austin Martin are ready somewhat next year, it doesn't block anyone's pathway. Um and secondly, what it does is they're saying primarily he's going to play second base, which I'm perfectly fine with. Um, I think um, Kevin Biggio was serviceable uh, defensively there. Um, so it it makes sense that now you have, uh, a, I don't want to say an elite, but an above average, really good shortstop uh, playing second base. So, you know, you can definitely see. And pitches like Hanjin Ryu, who rely a lot on these ground balls, I think that offers a lot of protection for someone like him. Um, I think it makes sense that Bo, although he's not considered a long-term shortstop solution, hasn't played a lot of games. So I can see why they want to give him some rope, right? He is preferred. uh, You know, he's one of those that they want to build a team around a little too early, I think, to get into, you know, negative conversations and things like that. So it doesn't hurt to start him out as a shortstop, Simeon as second base. Uh, and if Bo needs a day off or if he falters, you know you have a pretty solid uh, shortstop to cover that um, in any case. So from that standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, what this does for Biggio is uh, he could split time at third or I, I don't know, maybe sometimes as DH as well. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they go on and get another infielder. Um, based on what they're doing, it seems like if you've already made that much commitment to be a, a better team, then you know who's stopping you. Uh, the two main holes that are remaining in this team are probably a third base as well as uh, a starting pitcher. So where they go from here is very interesting, but I think this was a very, very solid signing for the Blue Jays. Yeah, great. Uh, great signing. Um he was a terrible shortstop originally. Athletics brought back Ron Washington after he left the Rangers. Uh, they brought him back to work with Semyon, turned him into an elite. Uh, the last few years, he has made it to the elite shortstop status and was third in MVP voting in 2019. Last year, got off to a slow start the first couple of weeks, but then by September, was back to his, back to his old self. So I love it. He upgrades the defense, which was badly needed. He gives them insurance at short. Although I guess I guess second base is where they will play him if they want to continue to get full reps. He can 
there is still some I mean, even if he's just an average hitter with the defense, it's a big, big win for them. So I really like it. And I would like and I think as full disclosure on our WhatsApp chat on our WhatsApp group, I was still questioning if maybe he should just be the shortstop. I mean, you bring in one of the elite shortstops in the league and put him at second base. I still, I understand why. I mean, Bobichet development and all that, but oh, you want to win now? Put him there. So, so, so the thing is that all the fan graph and all these defensive metrics really love him. Uh, but if you see um, uh, the new Statcast metric uh, outs above average, it doesn't really rate him very favorably. Um, I, I think it's uh, he's actually below ball for the 2020 season. Um, so it, uh, I, again, I mean, having said that, I still believe he's an upgrade over Bo at short. But I see the point of why they're doing what they're doing, whether you know we agree with it or not. Uh, but I, I think if his bat is was somewhat even close to what it was in 2019. I think he's going to be like, they'll find a place for him, right? I mean, he, second base obviously is, he's the primary second baseman, but it won't be an issue if he hits the way he did in 2019. So uh, offensively, they're definitely looking like they're in much better shape with Springer uh, and Simeon. Now, do you, are you guys expecting anything from the from the Yates or, or Chatwood signings? Like, what what, what do you guys? Uh, Prime, we kind of talked about this last week, but uh, maybe Azam, give us your your thoughts on. Uh, I know I know Kirby Yates. Like he, he was coming off an injury last season, if I'm not mistaken. But before then, he had he had a couple of really good seasons, right? Um, I think he had a terrific uh, 2019. I think uh, like if you really think about it, like the amount of money uh, that uh, White Sox paid for. Um, Liam Hendricks, that's what Kirby Gates was in 2019. So, and and the interesting thing is, just on a side note, in 2017, I wrote uh, an article about Kirby Gates uh, when he was playing for the Padres. He seemed to have turned the corner, and it seems like he's turned a few more corners since then. But um, I think that's an incredible signing. He could probably be their closer right out of the gate. Um, he has, I think it's a split finger um, that's uh, the splitter that he's really mastered. Uh, and uh, yeah, he posted 3.4 fan graph war uh, in 2019, uh, which for a reliever is as close to insane a number as you can have. Um, so no, it, he had, he gives them a lot of, uh, you know, depth at the back end of the bullpen. Uh, Tyler Chadwood, I don't know where I read who it you know, could it be a Stoughton's article or I don't remember, but he's like the right-handed Robbie Ray. So uh, he, he's another wild thing. Uh, can strike out a ton of guys. Uh, again, uh, I see him in a, a relief role. So a uh, good signing. Um, definitely uh, something in a short outing can be very, very effective. Um, so no, I mean, I, I think those are two pretty good signings there as well. Anything to add, Pramit? No, I think he uh, summarized it all very nicely. Uh, I'd forgotten how dominant Yates was in 2019. Sometimes when you play in San Diego, and San Diego wasn't that good a team, you forget it. But I think he brought up a very good point about he likely would have, like, had he been healthy and been a free agent after 2019, he would have gotten the Hendricks contract last year. And so I, I think it's a it's a good sign for them for sure. 
Um, it's not like they're trying to get him to bounce back after two, three, four years. This is just the last full season. Uh, Chatwood, I like too. He could be a guy that you put him in the pen. He focuses on two pitches, just comes out and throws. I, I, I think in the I, I I'll just put him right in the pen. I don't know. I wouldn't put him in the rotation now. I think they have enough of those swingmen back end rotation type guys already. I would just put him in the pen and just let him thrive there and try to acquire another starter. Again, I think just so, for context, right? Just for uh, uh, sorry to cut you off, but but just for context, if you talk about relievers, how good a three point war four season is. Mariano Rivera in his career only had three seasons where he posted three WAR, um, and if you look at the ones where he went posted four point three or even three point two, his two best years he pitched one hundred and seven and eighty innings. Now there's no way I'm comparing the two, so please no one get that. <laughs> you got me excited, but man. But what I'm saying is that it was a 2019 was a very very dominant year for Kirby Yates, and like they they didn't pay. A hell of a lot for either one of them, right? So this is, it's a, it's a, it's a low risk, potentially high reward type of situation. Yep. Which like five point five million. Five point five million. That's chump change for MLB money. To be very honest. Yeah. Exactly. Especially considering what you spent on uh, on Springer and and Even Simeon. Eighteen million. And, you, and if they are out of the race, and he's has a very good year, that's a big trade chip at the deadline. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the last thing, just to finish this topic off, um, Azam, I know you wrote, uh, you wrote an article on George Springer. So I, do you, do you want to plug it? Let the people know how, uh, how they can find that. Yeah. So I occasionally contribute to beyond the box uh, Primarily I write about the blue Jays. You can find my George Springer article. Uh, I will be writing one on Marcus Simeon tomorrow, so it should be up sometime tomorrow or the day after. But uh, uh, it's got a lot of really good writers, so please do check it out, beyondtheboxscore.com. Yeah, and uh, so we we also will, the, the Simeon article will will share on our Instagram. Uh, so if you just click the the link in our bio, um, there will be a direct link to it. So so check it out. I was, I was reading some of the articles today. Uh, and brushing up on the uh, on the George Springer signing as well, so highly recommend anything written by uh, by Azam, even if you go back to the article on Kirby Yates from 2017. Who definitely knew? go back. <laughs> but I, I think that's a that's a good spot to to end the show. Um, as always, I want to thank everybody for uh, for listening to us. We we appreciate uh, the support that we've been getting. Uh, I think we've been catching uh, some picking up some steam on YouTube, so it's been it's been really good to see. Um, as always, make sure you follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, at box in one pod and, uh, make sure you subscribe on, uh, on YouTube, uh, like our stuff, interact with us, leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, anything you guys want to add before, uh, before we wrap this up? No, I think lately we've been picking up, picking up a lot of steam and, uh, really appreciate everyone's support. But like Ron said, please, um, you know, the more subscribers we have, you know, if you like our content, you can get it right into your subscriptions inbox. Uh, so please, uh, if you have any suggestions, please uh, do not hesitate to tweet at us or email us or reach out to on any of the social media platforms. We'd love to hear from you. And I need to find out why certain metrics rate Semyon very highly and certain metrics like outs above average don't. <laughs> So one thing, I, actually, if, if one day, 
if one day we could kind of do a, a quick, uh, like a quick kind of like, you know, just a primer on some of the metrics that people should be looking at it, that, that, that would be great, especially baseball wise, like basketball, I'm fine. Uh, baseball, it's, it's a world where I just look at some of these numbers and as I'm like, I was reading your article and I had to keep Googling some stuff. So maybe one day we'll do a primer on some of this stuff so uh, that I'm not lost. And so that some of our uh, viewers and listeners aren't lost. Hey, if that's interesting, some shameless uh, self-promotion, um, maybe, uh, Ron, I mean, you can probably link, uh, put a link to it um, on my own personal YouTube account. There is uh, sort of a lunch and learn I did with uh, uh, a startup a couple of years ago uh, called Moneyball 2.0, uh, kind of explains uh, some of the analytics uh, and all the evolution over the last couple of years. Is this the video that you said was uh, was like taking off and making you some serious money? Oh no! I got a copyright claim from MLB because I posted a Statcast ad on it. <laughs> ah. Well, I'll, I'll post a link. Send me the link, and I'll put it in the description so people can check that out. Awesome! Anything to add, Primate? Do an episode that would be great. Thank you know, you. We do a basketball analytics episode as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So actually, just to I don't I don't want to extend this too much, but I've been reading a, a couple of books, uh, Basketball on Paper and uh, Thinking Basketball. Uh, basketball on Paper is by uh, Dean Oliver. Um, Thinking Basketball is by Ben Taylor. Uh, both really like, you know, kind of advancing uh, analytics and just the, the way you think about basketball in general. So, um, yeah, I, I would love to do that, especially once I'm done those. And then, you know, there's a little basketball course that I'm doing on X's and O's right now. So, uh, yeah. It, basketball is my thing so I, I we should definitely do that all right guys so Send that's enough in. that's enough for the night i think uh people are probably tired of listening to us primate i know you got to get back to work which was you wanted to keep this short and you kept talking you just extended this episode my bad, my bad. all right all thanks. right, thanks all right good night everybody or good morning or good day wherever you're listening thanks everyone